Wolfpack, thanks so much for tuning into the Fantasy Fullback Dive today. Before we pave your path to 2020 fantasy titles, a quick announcement. We're looking to add new lead blockers to crush it with this summer. Writers, video, dev, marketing, finger massagers. If you're passionate about fantasy and you want to join this young, energetic startup with a limitless DK Metcalf ceiling, slide on into the Wolf's DMs on Twitter at RotoStreetWolf or hit us up at RotoStreetJournal on Facebook or Instagram and learn more details. Also, for show notes and bonus goodies for today and every episode, visit FF. BDPod.com. All right, chin straps on, let's go. Fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final try. Here comes Kuhn. the touchdown. What a great second ever. Here comes the ball. Here comes the ball. Here comes the The Fantasy Fullback Dive is thrilled to welcome on for the first time Bob Harris at Football Diehard on Twitter, the senior editor of one of the OG fantasy sites, Football Diehards. You can find them at FF Diehards on Twitter or FFootballDiehards.com. He's also on Sirius XM Fantasy, uh, a host on Channel 87, up at least where I'm at, and he is a Fantasy Hall of Fame uh, Writers Associating um, Hall of Fame member, the first ever winner of the Writer of the Year Award. Suffice to say, this is a wolf through and through to his core. It's so such a pleasure to have you on, Bob. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. It was great to win the first one because I think Brad Evans now wins them all. No, Brad Evans or Gary Davenport ever since. I don't know. Yeah, they certainly have uh, plays their own path into the industry, and I'm hoping to have some of those guys on too. But, man, I I was telling you right as we hopped on here, you're one of the first guys I've ever read. Uh, Like, literally the guy that kind of turned my eyes on to the fact that there can be people out there analyzing fantasy football. I always loved playing it with my high school buddies. We would always kind of get the magazines, go to the beach, and the, the diehards. You always had like the structured release of schedules, so I felt like I had this huge edge back in the day before the internet was all over the place. You guys would always have these new releases in August and things, and I would get the updated ones where they're all in like the June old cheat sheets, and you guys always just crushed it. So it's just kind of surreal talking to you. Thanks so much again for coming on. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Wolf. And, you, you know, that was, you know, some of the, you know, one of the things about the, the magazines, you know, and we're doing a limited set this year, uh, two titles, the Pro Forecast, which is the 31st edition of that one, and the Football Diehards. But, you know, figuring out, you know, the, the thing you said, you know, you sell a magazine and it's a snapshot in time and how do you, you know, how do you fix that? Well, the Internet is how you fix that. Exactly. You know, your rankings updated and you kind of give that along. But I think those are, you know, that, you know, kind of, realizing being part of the audience knowing what people are interested in has uh has made this all work absolutely yes and i'd love to ask you just as i kind of ask all the wolves and and this is going to be interesting because i don't necessarily consider you anything other than a trailblazer in the industry here i always kind of ask what's your path to this this game but i feel like you almost blazed the path for so many of me you know and other people who have been on the show uh before so kind of what was your way you know blazing this trail or getting into the fantasy industry and what's some advice after being in it for as long as you have that you'd have for anybody else looking to break into the space so yeah, this is like what my twenty eighth. It's, it's been I've been doing this a long time. Uh, no, uh, this is yeah, this is about my twenty eighth year. But so like in nineteen eighty six, I started playing fantasy 
football friend brought it from, you know, I lived in Tucson, friend brought it back from San Diego, you know, was walked in the door on upon his return from a job said, I found this thing and you're going to love it. And of course we did. So we started playing and I, it took me about a week to realize that well, I don't have enough information to do this right. You know, and so that was 86. So I think in 1993, I started a business providing that information and it's kind of rolled out from there. And, you know, the, uh, you know, early on, it was kind of, I was a graphic designer. So I kind of did print stuff. And, and so I actually printed something every week and mailed it out and got it out in time. And then we added a fax component to that, which is kind of the <laughs> precursor to the internet was like every, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I would send out a fax with who practiced and who didn't. And uh, that got really popular. Then it went to like 900 numbers, which were, uh, you know, kept me alive for a few years. And and so just kind of rolling through and hanging on. It was, you know, a niche business. Uh, USA Today had some, you know, interesting because everyone got their information from USA Today, right? Your Every mm -hmm. box score, that's how you scored your teams back then. And so, uh, so I advertised USA Today and that kind of, you know, helped me catch on. And then over the course of time, you know, it took a few years, the NFL finally realized, oh, wow, this is probably good for us and not actually gambling or something horrible yeah. that we think it is. And that was the big difference maker when the NFL and, the, you know, the Internet and the NFL were the two game changers to the whole thing and made this a hell of a lot easier, you know, and I was sitting there, you know, spending everything I made, printing things out and stuffing them <laughs> in envelopes and mailing them. One of my customers called, I think the second year I was doing it, and said, hey, you ever heard of the World, World Wide Web? And I said, <laughs> and, uh, and he told me, I said, so you're telling me I can send a million of these for the same price I can send one? Yes. And I, so I, I got all in on that. And, and so that's kind of been it, you know, and got involved in the magazines pretty early on. I think it was like right in 93, uh, Emil Cadillac, my publisher, had been doing it since like 89. And, you know, obviously called me, wanted advertising, and we started working together more. And then it was 96, I started working for them a lot. And then 98, it was full, it went full time with them. So there you have it. I said, it's, it's incredible to, to you know, we, you hear all the stories about people who used to box growing up, but you, you were sending out faxes. And it's just like the evolution. Right. It must be so cool to just see, the you thing know? That, the thing <laughs> that made me the most money was uh, a 900 number where, you know, like everyone had to wait till the next day to get the box scores. Mm -hmm. Well, I was on CompuServe or whatever, and the Associated Press put the box scores out, and I, I would just read the entire, every box score into my 900 number, and people would call that thing and spend money to sit on it for 15 minutes while I read through all the box scores as fast as I could, so... You know, those were the days, my friend. Uh, <laughs> that's that a, that's a, incredible. I remember, yeah. I, I used to think I had it. That, like, I remember we used to have Stat Tracker was like when I was right. first starting to get in and you'd watch the arrows and stuff. And now we have, I mean, Red Zone, you see every play. It's like, it's just, it's crazy how far the game has, has come yeah, along, I, which is I amazing. think a lot of the technology that we enjoy and the things we follow, you know, just as football fans were developed, you know, in part because of the, uh, the intense interest of fantasy owners. They kind of 100%. grow the technology on that. Absolutely, yes. And just to, to preview what we're going to get into for the, the feature of this segment, we're going to be talking about busts, or not necessarily busts, but ADP avoids, people we think are overpriced as we get there. But again, I just love when I get the chance to speak to Wolves, uh, especially someone who's been in the game as long as Bob, I, I always like to pick their brain before we get into the feature. And, and part of what I always also like to ask is, What's kind of your, your process? Has it changed, you know, 26 years later? Have you always kind of stayed to the same core preparation or what do you do kind of year to year? 
it's kind of accelerated, obviously. You know, I, it used to be there was an offseason, and the offseason was the time I became more knowledgeable than everyone else, you know, because mm-hmm. all the information out there that's widely available to everybody. And it's kind of funny, uh, can go back to, uh, I, I mentioned Evil Cadillac. He also started high stakes fantasy football along with Lenny Picano, uh, the world championship of fantasy football. I went to their first event, and there was a guy. Uh, standing in line holding one of our magazines. And I said, oh, are you going to use those rankings? He goes, oh, hell no, I do better rankings than this. And that's what you realize is everybody do your job, right? And that's gone to a new level just based on the technology. Look, anybody on Twitter, anybody anywhere, anybody on my website now, I mean, you have to push this information out. So information we used to collect up over the off season and dissect and used to our advantage as, you know, quote unquote experts, right? Uh, and uh, that's there, there for everybody. So it's available to everybody. So now the process moves into assessing the information more than, you know, hoarding and delivering the information to assessing the information and trying to do a better job. So that's kind of been the evolution was, you know, early on, it was a chore to get the information. I mentioned, you know, I had the, the, the phones and stuff. We would Early on, like fantasy owners would call teams, individual media relations departments of teams. And one of the things I did pretty early on was I called all the teams and said, hey, look, I know you're getting a lot of calls. Give them my phone number and give me the information and I'll help them and I'll try to sell them something. But I'll give them the answer so they don't keep calling you. So, you know, fantasy owners are always out there digging for that information. <clears throat> and so now it's widely available. Now the uh, you know the chore is making it easier for them to to access and understand the information and put it you know in an in, a, in an organized way because there's so much of it out there, right, Wolf? I mean, it's literally yeah. you know Twitter is like sticking the fire hose down your mouth and turn it <laughs> on full. I mean, you can you you could be injured easily. Uh, so that's that's a big part of it now is just organizing and putting it together so people can get the information they need at their fingertips and such an ongoing stream you know keeping it relevant and in the moment is kind of become the the bigger part of the battle and then at the same time as an analyst you're trying to analyze and give your opinion on it as well absolutely i think you know perfect segue because it is such almost like an overload at times with how much you have available right. in, in terms of not just stats and information, but tools you can use and all. It's crazy how huge it's become. I mean, we all love the game, so it's it's not that shocking, but it is insane how it's evolved in that sense. So, is there at times it seems like there's so much? It's like how do you kind of sift through the noise versus what's actually important? What's some of the stuff you prioritize when you're collecting that information to then present to your your viewers and listeners? So one of the things I've learned over the course of the last thousand years is like what you find out in in September is the things that were being said in February, even as early as the scouting combine is what strikes me Mm -hmm. is you start really where every coach and GM talks might be like the one time a year they all tell the truth, it seems, you know, and they kind of like at least, you know, flash their cards at you and you kind of get an understanding of where they're heading. And then what you do is you spend the rest of the offseason measuring what they said versus what's happening. Mm-hmm. And you have multiple in a normal off season, not this off season. That's this is not a normal off season. Yes. <laughs> but in a normal off season, you get all the little pieces of information, and, and I just think of it as a big timeline of data, right? And you're just plugging in the pieces. So you know the way you try to organize it is anyone can jump in the middle of the timeline and kind of see where things are going because you're always going back to that initial you know data point mm-hmm. and then comparing everything to that. And I think that's the big thing: com- comparing the differential between 
what you what you think they want to do versus what they're doing and then being ready to divorce yourself from your narrative because we all create you know our narratives <laughs> going into a, a season and i think the the most successful fantasy owners are are able to divorce themselves from that narrative and the way they you do that is you follow that line of information throughout the offseason and wherever you jump in you know just be prepared to see how it changes or not and make your adjustments accordingly Absolutely. I, I love paying attention to every report. I mean, you got to find the nuggets, right? And, and see which ones the actions actually are backing them up. It's a huge point because there's so many, they're going to say every player's in the best shape of their career or this player's about to see a, a bigger workload and then the preseason rolls through and they're not really getting worked in. It's absolutely crucial to be able to sift through like that. Are there any types of like, whether it, I guess it, it leads to this kind of debate in a way that it seems, especially on Twitter, as you mentioned, the fire hose, like it's either analytics or it's film. I don't know. Do you stand more so on one end versus the other? And if so, is there anything you kind of prioritize a source of those analytics or <clears throat> film? Because my priority, my first job is first and foremost, gathering information and organizing it. And part of that is, you know, understanding what is the, you know, the, the best shape of the career, all the trophy things and yeah. and stuff like that, that, you know, it's best to ignore. And that's why you, I try to measure what I know against what I see happening or what my expectations are against what I see happening. And it kind of helps me separate a yeah. little bit of that, you know, the, the more useless information or keeps me on point. Look, there's a lot of people out there who do great work in the analytics and in the film world. And I try to listen to, to parts of all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but like everything else, it's just like, I just I talk about that data timeline, right? And I say, you know, we just plug in pieces of information. When you look at it like that, no one piece of information should be defining anything. And you can see every year how one bit of news from a beat writer, like, oh, this guy looks like he's getting an up increase. For you. It, hmm. Don't look at any one thing of those kind of things and make an assumption based on that. Look at it right. in the context of the timeline and in the, your expectations and where things are heading and what compared to what happened here, here, and here. The same with the analytics and film guide. That all fits into your data timeline. It's just one piece of data. It's not definitive. Nothing is, you know, definitive. It's the whole is definitive. And even then, everything you think it's defined can totally go off the rails one week into the season. So, I mean, that's part mm -hmm. of the fun of the game, right? But when the, look, the analytics guys are amazing, <clears throat> the, the, how far that's come right. over the course of the last, I mean, even in recent seasons. And, and I love it. I, I love listening to it. I pay attention to it, but I use it in that context. It's one piece of many pieces of information. And the same with the film guys. I mean, you know, look, you could sit there, according to film guys, and spend a lot of time watching film. Right. And I just don't have that time to do that. So I try to digest what they're doing and try and, and, and find the key pieces that maybe add a little something what I'm already looking at or maybe help me you know step away from a narrative I'm buying into like oh maybe that's not really what I should be looking at and so I think those are the things they're they're pieces they're 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 input into the data timeline but they are not they're not in and of themselves definitive or or the the total story Absolutely. The, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts type right. of, uh, you know, there's so many right. moving parts. We have to figure out how right. they and all come together here. Yeah. Right. And I think when you're like, when you're into any one aspect of it, and this is not to be critical because I mean, there, you know, there's a need for this, but you know, you see everything, you're a hammer and everything's a nail, right? Mm. So if you're an analytics guy, analytics maybe is everything. Or if you're a film study guy, that's your focus. That's all you see. That's what you're looking at. So I think it's really helpful to be able to step back take all that information in 
and kind of sort it out based on the things you're already looking at and does it support or take away detract from the things you believe. Absolutely. And, and in terms of just like straight up tools, whether it's, you know, apps or different things, is there anything, whether it's from football diehards or any other sites that you, you kind of consider game changers that you regularly utilize? Yeah, I mean, I've used a lot of the things on our site. The mock draft simulator, I think, is really helpful. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, doing fast mocks. I mean, it's also, you know, I, I still think best ball is a pretty good laboratory because there's a little money on the line and you can kind of get a feel for things and not a huge difference at least in the early rounds between best ball and what you're doing in a regular draft. So mm-hmm. that, uh, look, I think, you know, ADP and I look at a bunch of different ADPs, including from my site, but I look at other sites as well. I use the fantasy pros consensus specs first kind of picks just to, you know, as a sanity check on my own picks. I think I'll, I'll, there's a lot of things like that, that I use. Um, pro football focus is a tool, you know, many tools that any of, many of us use. Uh, Rotoviz has a great array of, of yeah. weaponry there available. Uh, to dig in as deep as you want, and I think those those are the kind of things uh, that you would probably catch me using at various times. Absolutely. And the last question before we dig into these overprices or guys we're kind of avoiding at their cost is, are there any other analysts that you kind of look up to as wolves, whether they're big names, smaller guys? Is there anyone else that our listeners must make sure they're following? So I, during the, you know, the course of the season, I'm very busy and I'm doing my own thing. So it's not like I spend a lot of time looking at other people, but I do look at other people. And some of them are Mike Clay uh, at ESPN, who to me is one of the sharpest guys in the business. Um, uh, JJ Zacharyson, I pay a lot of attention yeah. to. You know, I, a lot of it is I consume in the form of podcasts, as I'm sure anyone listening to this is probably out there doing as well. <laughs> and I think that's a good way for me to do it because I can listen while I'm working. And so there are a handful out there that I really enjoy and, and, you know, some of the personalities I really enjoy. But just in terms of the, you know, the straight up information that I like to glean, people like Clay and JJ, I think are at the top of that heap for me. Absolutely. And I guess one other question, I just kind of want to work in here a little off script though, is I think you have more experience with the fantasy game than pretty much anyone I, I know or have interviewed and anyone that's probably listening to this podcast. If you had like one single tip of, of all the years you've played fantasy what would it be if you had one you had to give? I'm putting you on the spot, I know. <laughs> no, not really. This is the corniest thing, but it's the truest thing. And, and I mean, people, it's it's so easy to overlook. Don't let, don't draft last year's best team, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's, you know, how many people just show up at a draft and they, they don't, they're not drafting based on projections or what they're seeing going forward. They're based on where the guys finished last year. Don't do that. Absolutely. And I love that your process starts in February. So it's very clear you uh, stick to that every year by reading those convoy notes and everything. It's it's fantastic advice. Absolutely. And, and now let's move into the feature here where we're going to talk about crucial. It's never the sexiest topic. Everyone likes to pick up who's going to blow up and who's going to go off this next year. And it always looks nice to hit that. But it's just as important to avoid the guys that are kind of overpriced and pick the right guys at that price point. It just doesn't get the same type of glory, I feel like. So I think this is a crucial topic. I'm I'm pumped to dig into it with you today. Um, And you sent me my list on Sunday yesterday. And my first reaction was like, wow, that's impressive because it goes to show why you're a wolf. A lot of bold, thought-provoking takes. Many I'm going to agree with and we can kind of elaborate on together. There's definitely a few I'm like, oh, okay, I can't wait for this conversation. This is going to be a fun one uh so i'm i'm thrilled oh, well, to dive me, in yeah let me stipulate first that that there everyone is a value at the right price right so right. any of these guys i'm saying i'm not buying i would totally buy at the right price right i mean yes. there's you know there's no there's no question about it there you know maybe we have our 10 foot pole guys that we don't trust you know wouldn't touch them with yours uh, but then 
but even me, when I find myself, these guys that I think are on my 10 foot pole list, I'm seeing them at a certain price. I'm going, oh, damn. Here I exactly. Go. Exactly. So. Exactly. There's always a place where you'd consider someone, but ultimately we're going to go through fan, using fantasy pros, ADP, you know, who we might target instead of certain guys and why we're not targeting the guy where they're going. And I, I got to lead off with the one that you, you gave me first on the list. And I think everybody keeps calling this guy the next, it, it, when I ask in, in a segment we're going to do later, the no huddle offense for a rapid fire name reaction. I ask the next Lamar Jackson or Mahomes, if there was going to be one, I feel like so far five out of five wolves has said Kyler Murray is the next one, but you, you put him on your list along with Deandre Hopkins as guys, you're just not buying at their current price point if, as represented. Uh, so I got to lead off with them and, and just get your sense of what has you kind of down on Kyler as compared to the industry. <laughs> right now not down on kyler down on the price right yeah. i mean and, and so and look that's the thing we get caught up in this he's the next this well he might be um do i want to pay a throw so what was great about lamar jackson last year you got him well when i was drafting him <laughs> best balls it was you know started out in the double digits and i think by the time the season was drawing near he climbed to maybe an eighth round pick and i'm still like well, okay you know um Murray, you're not getting that discount. Everyone's going in with the assumption that it's his year. We saw it with Mahomes. We saw it with Jackson. We're going to see it with Murray. And we may well. I'm just not going to see it at that price. I'm going to see other players at similar prices that that's the, you know, or at better prices. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of, you know, what I'm looking to do. So it's really not a, look, I like what Cliff Kingsbury does. I like what Kyler Murray did last year. Uh, One of the problems we mentioned, DeAndre Hopkins. It was a really good situation for DeAndre Hopkins. Now he comes in, there's uh, more weaponry. Does he have the chance to work with Murray? And I think one of the things we've you know, kind of hinted at, we all know this is an unusual offseason. And one of the yeah. things I'm a little worried about are the players that are moving, not getting the time in. You know, I'm not sure the virtual OTAs are the same as spending the time. And I know some of these players are out doing you know, their workouts, and that's great. But it's still not you know, like the extended period of meetings, mini camps, uh, and the really structured setup. I'm sure, you know, Tom Brady will have those guys, you know, in shape in Tampa. And I'm sure, you know, but but is he really going to have a chance to find that guy that he really hits sync with? Because what's the thing with Tom Brady? If you're a receiver, you have to be where he wants you when he wants you there. Or it's not going to work. We've seen it time and time again. So I'm not saying that Kyler Murray is that same kind of player, but just think of guys going in, the expectations and the price reflects those expectations. I think you're paying a premium on those expectations in a really uh, unique offseason. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, QB4, 56 overall, they're definitely buying at a, a pretty high ceiling, a pretty high premium here. I, I see the argument a lot of them make. You know, you, you take a guy that looked really good as a rookie and then give him arguably the best receiver, one of the top five at least in the game, a, a guy that can help on the broken plays when he's scrambling and needs to kind of lob it up and needs someone just to come down with it. A guy that since 2017, you're tied with Tyreek Hill on TD, uh, tied for second only behind Tyreek kill in deep TD reception. So, I mean, he definitely brings, obviously, a ton to help with with Kyler. Who are you kind of looking at then? So, Kyler's at, like, kind of QB3, QB4. Are there some guys, whether it's a quarterback or just a player in those middle rounds, that you're like, I'm just taking this guy no matter what? Because I'm I'm with you. I love the Kyler narrative. If I was going to go on quarterback that early, I might. But I find myself targeting other players or even positions at that time. Is there anybody you're leaning towards? Yeah. Oh, totally. Somebody I'm all in on is Daniel Jones, right? And and Uh so one of the things I like to do a lot, and I think on the Fantasy Pros ADP there, he's very reasonably priced right now, right? Absolutely. Uh, What is he, quarterback? Uh, 
like 13, uh, 14? 15, quarter, quarterback 15. Even so, cheaper, yeah. <laughs> right, even cheaper. So one of the things I'll often do is when I pick my guy, and I like last year it was Lamar Jackson, right? And so I will reach a round or two on that player knowing it's quarterback and I can come back and get what I'd call steady Eddie. In this case, uh, you know, a guy maybe with some upside that I would grab is Matthew Stafford, who's climbed up quarterback 13. And if you look at his first eight games last year, you'll know why I'm interested. The supporting cast has not gotten worse. It's gotten better. I don't know if the defense has gotten better. That's a big factor in quarterbacks uh, is the need to throw the ball a lot, which they had there. So I like that pairing, but I think Daniel Jones is a guy who showed a lot. And I mean, we're all focused on Murray. Uh, we'll see maybe Jason Garrett will be a little run heavier attack there than we saw, but still the high end games we saw from Daniel Jones were super right. Oh yeah. And the mobility should not be overlooked as well? I mean, that's one of the things we like in our quarterbacks is that, is that mobility. Daniel Jones has that as well. So I just think when you looked at some of the high end performances he had last year, the 20 plus point games, he had a 25 plus point, 25 plus points four times last year, mm-hmm. you know, and when you're looking at the weekly average scores, that's something I like to look at with my quarterbacks. I want, you know, guys up over 20. I think he's capable, uh, not just him alone, but you look at the supporting cast with Saquon Barkley, Darius Slayton, an up and coming receiver, Sterling Shepard, a guy who they paid to be a wide receiver one. Can he stay on the field and do that? I don't know. Same with Evan Ingram, but Golden Tate, a steady presence as well. So I just think there's a lot to like about Jones. I think given the price, yeah. it's really not a gamble, right? And so that's the that's that's more the direction I'm taking and not spending that early draft capital. And I'm not opposed. Like, I've been drafting Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes in the second round of some drafts. Don't do it every draft. Uh, yeah. One of the luxuries of doing a ton of drafts is being able to experiment a little bit and getting shares mm-hmm. of guys that maybe you wouldn't get in if you were just drafting in a narrow band, but... And uh, up to this point, I don't think I have any Tyler Murray because I'm just I'm waiting a little after. You know, I'm seeing Dak Prescott go a little bit later. Uh, I would be fine with him if I still want to draft early. You look at last year's finish was really solid. They add weapons for him this year. Mike McCarthy comes in a new fresh outlook on that offense, maybe similar offense, uh, similar language. So he doesn't have to learn a lot of new things. Uh, so there's, you know, so those are the kind of things I'm looking at a little more. I then, I mean, I just think Murray, as much as I like him, as much as I see the upside, as much as I see the cast around him, I see a lot of things everyone else sees. I just think the price is not right for me. Absolutely. I, I see all those points completely as, as much as I do like Murray too. I mean, if I'm going to invest that high of a pick, which like you, I'd rather go late the opportunity cost of passing up on a wide receiver. There's like, you know, the Terry McLaurin's or the... Uh, you know, lots of impressive DK Metcalf sometimes even falling to that Kyler Murray range. I'd love to take that. And then, as you mentioned, Daniel Jones has the upside. To, he had more 25-point games than Kyler Murray, more 30-point games than anybody other than Lamar Jackson. So I get your points totally. They, you know, going in at quarterback that early, I might want something a little more proven like a Dak if I was going to go in I, that same price range. I, I love the CD Lamb edition, so I totally see that. Um, as well as maybe even Russell Wilson I see falling after Kyler. Tyler, a guy who has all the upside in the world, has been the QB1 many times in his career. And what if they just open that offense? I'm with you. I'm a little bit lower on Kyler than, I guess, the industry in that sense. I totally see the narrative for him to blow up. 
but I'm going to oh, yeah. probably probably take a wide receiver in that range anyways. And if I was right. going to go on a QB, I'm with you. I'd probably go for something a little more proven. So I, I like it. I, I see that point as well. You, you brought up Brady too, especially with the offseason and how he hasn't had the time to kind of mesh with these weapons. And for somebody that's so based on precision and I need you here, which when I expect you, you're not going to see it. You, you kind of see that as an issue. He's currently going as the QB 12, 106 overall. So kind of a guy you can wait on into that Daniel Jones range, but you find yourself going Danny Jones over Tommy or, or what's your kind of thoughts on Brady going into the year? Um, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of hoping that Brady goes off before I crack Jones just because I feel better about myself. Yeah. I don't want to get, you know, again, I, I, I try to avoid the narrative place. Right. And, and I mean, I know Tom Brady leaving Tampa, leaving New England for Tampa is a big deal. We know Bruce Arians. I mean, are they really this, you know, is that how ideal of a fit is that? I mean, you know, I have a lot of questions about it. I don't want to be dismissive of it. I'm just not going to, you know, I, there's, there's other directions I'm looking in. And look, I'm not saying Tom Brady can't get on the page, same page with receivers quickly, especially good receivers. According to Antonio Brown, it can happen in like a week. Yeah. Right. So maybe that was Miami. Uh, playing against Miami helped that cause a little <laughs> bit. But still, look, he's got great weapons there. You know, we all know what our expectations are for Chris Godwin based on last year. Mike Evans based on the broader body. Gronk coming back. <clears throat> I still have some questions, man. I, you know, I'm, I'm still, I remain a little skeptical. And if there's guys I like that are still a little bit cheaper, I'm going to go ahead and go with that. I feel more comfortable with Matthew Stafford than Tom Brady um, <clears throat> in that same range. So uh, I'll, I'll probably not have a lot of shares of Brady. But, and again, part of it is the move in the unique offseason. Not that Tom Brady is slowing anything down in the private workouts, but, you know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I I think the big thing will come down to, as you said, is how good of a fit will this be in the, the Bruce Arians kind of no-risk-it-no-biscuit offense? It's been top three in air yards for as long as Arians has been calling plays, no matter who's at QB. So how much is he going to work with Brady, who's been so much of a dink-and-dunk type of guy? He certainly has had a strong arm, and we've seen it through many years of his career, but definitely as a New England fan, these last couple, does he still have the juice to really uncork it for all those times that Aaron's is gonna chuck it I, I'm I'm willing to take the risk at that price and find out because of all those things you said the weapons but it, it'll be interesting to see what were we gonna add I'll have to say but you know it is worth noting if you know you were jumping into the analytics pro football focus noted that you know Jameis Winston was you know the bulk of his passes were the 10 to 20 yard range so it's not like yep. he was bombing out all the time some of these guys are capable more than capable of making plays with their legs so like, I'm not totally bailing on this, and I see the possibilities. I'm, I find it intriguing. Uh, but again, maybe it's almost as much the fact that it's a move, uh, especially after 20 years. Maybe the joy of the game comes back to him. I will yeah. want some shares of this, but it's not what I'm out there. You know, I'm not going into draft saying, man, I got to have this. Yeah, I gotcha. I do like the Stafford call out too. I personally have Brady a little higher on my rankings, but I think he's a great guy that's getting very underappreciated right now for all the reasons you cited. My personal pick at overpriced, and I don't know if you'll agree with me or not here, but that's Aaron Rodgers right now. Going as the QB eight, around seventy seven overall. One, I just I like all the guys we've talked about a lot better, including Stafford. I, I just don't see it happening for him. He, he was so inconsistent last year. I mean, only five QB twelve weeks, so top 
12 QB, QB1 necessarily, and then five games under 15 points, including four under 13, just because of how run-heavy they got under LaFleur, and there's going to be weeks where Aaron Jones or whoever the goal line back, we're going to talk about Jones in a little bit, just pounds it in. It seems to be more of his memo, whereas McCarthy, you know, he was only outside the top 10 in passing yards and top five in passing touchdowns once in nine years together uh, in both categories, and uh, when they had full seasons together, at least. So, to me, it definitely seemed like a schematic switch. They only draft a backup quarterback and running back and don't give him any help. I just didn't like anything about this offseason for him, and I don't see any reason why he's going as high as he is. Am I wrong here? What do you think about Aaron Rodgers? Oh, I don't know. I'm starting to feel like he's moving down to the territory where I'm going to start wanting to buy some pieces of that. And that's, the, that's what happens to me. It's like yeah. I sit there and I see a trend, and when I see someone dropping or something, I'm going, oh, it's not like he can't throw. It's not like that's not a good team. They were, you know, gave away from the Super Bowl last year. The The problem for me with him is the is the t- associated weaponry, right? And you're right about LaFleur does seem to be uh, focused a little more on the run, had added some uh, another weapon in the ground game. So uh, it did not add a lot of weaponry in the passing yeah. attack. Uh, Devin Funches, uh, God bless him. <laughs> God bless him. But, and maybe, look, maybe Jay Sternberger uh, emerges, and that seems possible as well. Maybe, you know, we'll talk about some of the tight ends later, but. I just think at this point, Devontae Adams is great. I, if I want a share of Aaron Rodgers, I'll take the Devontae Adams share. Right. And pay the premium on that because he is kind of the only game in town. I, you know, Al Lazard seems like a great play too, but as the wide receiver too in that offense, you know, at the cheap price he's going at, I kind of like that. And that's something maybe we'll talk about a little bit is, you know, a lot of these guys that you see, you know, there's two components in an offense. Uh, being old and mean and cheap and everything, I'll go the cheaper piece, right? But yeah. In this case, though, Devontae Adams seems like if you want that pack, you if you want a share of the Packer passing pack, that's probably the share I'm going to get. I may end up with some Rodgers as the price gets cheaper, but I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of, I'm kind of feeling not great about him. Absolutely. I mean, when he's going right now around Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, we mentioned Brady, which is, for some reasons, as you said, could be justifiable. But the guy I find myself going, no matter what, would be either Brees or I love Carson Wentz right at that same price point. I mean, the guy was a QB8 with no wide receivers going over 500 yeah. yards last year. You give him Jalen Rhaegar, a healthy Deshaun Jackson, plus Miles Sanders due for that breakout season, the tight ends. I just love everything about Wentz's setup this year I think he's going to truly light it up so if I'm a again I still the the original philosophy we talked about the Danny Jones is the Matt Staffords I find myself going for my QB in those 10 11 12 ranges anyways so I'm kind of avoiding most of these quarterbacks we're talking about but if it was a QB in that Rodgers range I think it's Wentz is the one that I I find myself going at the most Uh, yeah I would argue that the, the the running back position, that's the one we had kind of the most listed. And that doesn't really surprise me because it is often the most polarizing, the most year-to-year variance. So it kind of makes sense to highlight who we think could be avoids at running back because as variant as it is, it's also probably the most crucial position in fantasy because of that variance. Uh, and I loved a lot of the ones you listed. There's certainly a couple I'd love to discuss further. Uh, one we're in agreement, though, at the top of the draft, the one that's drafted the highest is Aaron Jones, running back 11, 15 overall. Why do you kind of consider him an ADP? avoid at the uh, price point right now oh because 19 touchdowns <laughs> I mean I just that's I, that's not going to be my expectation again right and, and right. I mean look he may but at the price point there are maybe other guys I like that I see maybe a little more upside look, you could say you know you as you look at that first round you could I could find something wrong with pretty much everybody right and 
Oh, well, it's not everybody. Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, I think. And look, but you can start hitting Dalvin Cook territory. You can start chiseling away pretty easily at all these guys. And I think in Jones' case, it's, it's super easy to chisel because it's just that touchdown regression is coming. Just like, you know, for Alvin Kamara, it's going to go the other way, right? I mean, you're just the expectation is there. And so that's my problem. The additional bodies are a bit of a, a concern. Look, Jones is going into the contract or is in, in, entering his contract year. Uh, he has something to play for. I think the fact that Green Bay is out there adding to their inventory at the position, though, is an indication of that future, that right. future payday, either not being as big as he wants or being somewhere else. And so I just don't have a great deal of confidence in him, you know, me, reaching those same numbers. Look, I think the workload's been there up to, you know, recent seasons. You know, if you worship at the church of yards per carry, he's been the guy, right? Oh, yeah. And it was a little less so. So um, maybe that's a bit of a concern for me as well. So, um, look, great player, like the mostly clear path to workload, but at some point there's going to be people nibbling on it. And the people like A.J. Dillon and Jamal Williams is not going anywhere. 100%. I mean, to just illustrate how ridiculous the 19 TDs were, that was 36% of his fantasy value. So even if they added nobody, he's he's dude, he's going to come down to earth a little bit in that factor. And then you add A.J. Dillon, you just mentioned, I mean, a guy that's lauded as Derrick Henry comparisons, a monster. If he decides, if they give him the goal line carries, what's going to happen to that touchdown share? So I totally agree with all that. I love the player beyond all belief. I hope he does eventually get a, a true, you know, every down role. I just don't see it happening when he could only top 60% of the snaps one time in a game where both him and Jamal Williams were active. And now you add a third guy that could be just as good. I just right. don't, I don't see it happening this year, especially if right. that becomes a three headed nightmare, which you talk about February, right? They were talking about adding a guy in February and they go and do it in the second round with great needs. I, I think that's a great, you know, illustration of how you, the, the coaching speak was actually matching their actions too. So yeah, right. I, I, I mentioned that yards per carry. I mean, it fell off in like a yard. So yeah, you know, they, those 5.5, 5.6 yards per carry season, though, that, that catches my attention, as does the, the drop-off look. I don't think it, the mm-hmm. workload is going to be diminished so greatly that that's the huge concern, but the touchdowns definitely are for me. Absolutely. And uh, the the next one up, the, the highest in terms of ADP after Aaron Jones you had on the list was Austin Eckler, uh, which is a guy I find myself taking over Aaron Jones every time. And I, I like Austin Eckler, so I'm intrigued to hear kind of what has you avoiding him at this cost and who might you be going after instead of him? Well, so, look, I'll go after him, right? It's yeah. not like I'm totally avoiding him. I'll have some shares of him. But I'm I'm mindful of the fact that, again, I'm not looking to draft last year's best team especially when last year's best team lost one of them lost their quarterback who yep. uh, the great degree of his value came as a receiver, right? Does Tyrod Taylor or Justin Herbert come in and lock on uh, to Austin Eckler the same way that, that they did in the past. So I think that's my main concern. There are changes in that organization. They're taking a little bit of a new philosophy. Uh, Anthony Lynn is a former running back who likes that run heavy approach. Is Eckler the guy to really, you know, forward that, uh, I don't know. So, I mean, there, there's just enough questions in there for me. Again, I'm not avoiding him. I'll take shares of him uh, if I feel like, ah, okay. But I think, I, think we should re- I think we should dial back expectations a little bit. I think the touches last year, what he had, 270 touches last year, it's a hell of a lot of production for 270 touches, man. Uh, he needs more touches, and I don't know if he'll get them. 
I think the, the biggest concern you highlighted is very real is, was this a product of Philip Rivers, how much receiving work he saw? And, and there's plenty of stats that suggest whether it was, you know, top three in backfield targets year, 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 you know, right in a row like that. Rivers definitely does love the check down and loved using his running back. So that makes me nervous. Uh, I do still just look at how great he was without Melvin Gordon and now Melvin Gordon's removed. I mean, only Christian McCaffrey had more points over those first four weeks and and, you know, Austin Eckler saw, I'm looking at it right now, 75%, 73%, 65 70% of the snap. So he was pretty much an every down back, 18, 23, 16, 23 touches without anybody else even touching 10 in that time span. And I mean, he just absolutely lit it up on that workload. So if he gets the workload, I, I mean, I just don't see how he doesn't explode. But they did draft, you know, Kelly. So is that going to become a little more of a three-headed monster? They, they talked a lot about having him in the slot where they bring other guys in so it is a concern I just their actions last year said otherwise when they still had Justin Jackson they keep talking up on the roster so to me you know the fact that he was a running a top 10 guy even with Gordon there and then he was a the number two guy when he wasn't there I just I'm hoping that all that efficiency carries over even if the workload drops a little bit without Rivers I still love him in round two especially as my running back too if I've gone a bell cow and I can get him as my second guy Oh, I love it. <laughs> those, are the, those are the cases where I get it. And I think probably, you know, like a lot of people I'm out there, you know, I'm not averse to hammering three running backs in the first three yep. rounds if it happens <laughs> that way. And I'll have leagues like that. And you were right on the first four games to average over 27 points a game. <laughs> so, like, like it's, you know, the upside is there. I totally get it. I just wonder, you know, Anthony Lynn's already talked about, you know, the 15 to 20 touches being the, you know, kind of the where they're looking, the lane they're looking for and, and how many weeks is it towards the lower end of that? I don't yeah. Know. So, you know, that's where I'm. So here's a, here's a phrase I will use a lot. Clear path to workload, right? Mm-hmm. I like the clearest path to workload. Uh, Eckler does not have the clearest path. It's a clear path. But, I mean, you know, in that range of players that he's, the, that he's sitting in, is it the clearest? Absolutely. That, that round two running back to it, there's so many interesting guys in that range. I do lean towards Eckler over most. I personally, though, the one guy I always end up going with if he's there and Eckler's there as well would be Kenyon Drake. I don't know if you like Drake. I know Sanders is often there a lot. Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs is often there. Is there like a round two? Sometimes Nick Chubb's even fallen to round two, which I would never pass him up if he's there. Is there any kind of running back in round two you feel yourself targeting more over Eckler? Uh, yeah, so it's kind of become Drake. Look, I don't have the greatest amount of trust in him either. Yeah. Uh, but I think the path to workload is a little clearer. I think also, though, you know, conversely, Chase Edmonds is a guy that I feel like I'd like to have Huge on value. those same rosters, right? A mm-hmm. uh, guy that you'll get, you know, almost for free, who I think has a ton of upside if he gets the chance to play. So, and Miles Sanders, for whatever reason, I have the blind spot. Maybe it's the committee approach that's always there. I think I need to cure the blind spot because it was phenomenal down the stretch last season, yeah. but he was kind of the only guy there, right? He was the only game in town. But I was impressed with some of the you know, his explosive speed and his big playability is pretty appealing. Uh, we'll just, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that carries over even with all the pieces or more of the pieces in place in that offense. So that's a little mm-hmm. bit concerned. But I think both those guys have a ton of upside. Look, I'm drafting Jonathan Taylor in the second round without without fear or maybe wow. with, with with less fear than I should have. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm big on Chris Carson, but I'm getting him a little later. And mm-hmm. that's great, too. But I'm a huge Chris Carson uh, proponent this this summer. 
I find myself going Chris Carson a lot, especially after last year. What a monster um, in the round, like late three, early four. I'd take him over the next guy we have on our list here that we're, we're definitely in agreement more, certainly more than Eckler. That's Leonard Fournette. He's kind of going as the running back 17, 31 overall. So, so early third, late second type of guy. I just don't see it at all right now. I, I have some huge concerns with his target regression. Uh, you know, there's no way he sees that, especially with Chris Thompson now coming in there, who has that history with Gruden. Is there anything in addition to the the, tar- the target regression that has you concerned, or is that your biggest concern as well? That's a huge concern for me, and it, you're yeah. right. It's, you know, there's not going to be 100 targets. There's not going to be 76 catches. You know, Jay Gruden is familiar with Chris Thompson, who's had some great success working mm-hmm. with Gruden when he's healthy, and that's a big caveat for him as well. Uh, and, you know, we can say a little bit the same for Fournette. I, I just – I don't feel like the team is bought into him, right? I don't feel like they're 100% on board with Fournette. Yeah. Uh, you know, not that they didn't pick up the, you know, the option. That's not, you know, the, the, the main reason. It's just over the course of time. I mean, he gets a heavy workload. I like that. I think he'll score more than three touchdowns, honestly. I mean, almost by accident. I think he'll score more yeah. than three touchdowns. Um, but but this is a little bit different of an offense. They're making changes. There's some additional personnel. I don't know. I just don't. I don't have a level of trust. I like the workload, um, but I'm, I'm I'm a little worried about the loss of receiving. I think you're paying a little bit of a premium based on last year's receptions. I think the I love that you brought up the organization too because that goes at one of two ways, and I see it going the negative way. It could be like we have one more year, let's ride the hell out of Run him, the, and, right, right. and the ceiling's huge. Or it could be just let's see what else we have because we're going to be without him next year, and they slowly phase him out. If it goes the first way, he'll probably have a higher ceiling than we're we're projecting right. him for. But the fact that they were so urgent trying to get rid of him at draft day and they couldn't, it seemed right. like. And, and like, what's the possibility <laughs> that this October that we're talking about this again? A possible trade yeah. and you know not knowing what direction that'll go that uh, you know i was gonna throw that in but i kind of said uh, i'm getting a little far in front of myself but <laughs> you're right on the you're right on one aspect and it's the thing that i like about todd Gurley this year you know that he's on a one-year deal and and yes. the run the wheels off you know factor seems like it's going to be in play falcons making a push i don't know if the jaguars are making a push for anything a hundred percent. I think Gurley is brings a lot more upside to the table than at a very similar price point going after Fournette right now in drafts. So I think he's a definite guy. Or you just wait and get a guy like Carson and some of these other guys we've talked about. Another one we also are, are avoiding at their cost. I totally agree with this one. Was Devin Singletary going as the twenty fourth running back, forty seven overall? Uh, it, it looked like he was ready to be unleashed after no free agents come there. Then they go and add Zach Moss. So do you expect him to be a little bit? Shabby? Tackled again, kind of like what Gore was doing because of Moss. Is there other factors as well, too, that you have a little down on Singletary at cost right now? I think he might be the same guy, right? I mean, and that's not great because, you know, even when he was getting the touches last year, he wasn't especially productive, right? Mm. I mean, he was getting, you know, solid touches down the stretch last season. He was still finishing outside the top 20 on a week-to-week basis. So that's a bit of a concern for me. Then, you know, the, the team's, you know, ambivalence i guess i'll go towards him you know handling a featured role uh which they you know bore out with the with the selection of moss who may be a pretty good back at this level as well so um yeah just not a lot i not a lot i like about the backfield right now not named josh allen Probably the best running back on the roster. <laughs> I was just gonna say that the ultimate vulture, and it's not even a running back. Josh Allen, the first most quarterback touch, or first quarterback touchdowns last year and this year, nine and eight. Like that's the most brutal. 
And Frank Gore had 18 goal line carries to Devin Singletary's three last year. And that was with Gore repeatedly just not getting it in. He didn't even have a ton of touchdowns, and they still kept going back to him. So I totally agree. It suggests the team does not view him as that true feature back, especially in the most important for fantasy department touchdowns. And Moss they, is just a bowling ball. Like right, they don't. They didn't even give him the ball. I don't know. I don't. I'm sure he had well under five carries. I should look before I say. I, he did not get a lot of carries inside the five yard line. He had three. He had three <laughs> inside the ten yard line. Yeah. So it was it was terrible. Uh, he even had less percent of the the rushing share. He had a, he had the targets. Right. And he's still going to see those, and obviously targets are valuable. He he does some interesting thing when he gets the ball, but like without those touchdowns, right. it, it's going to be hard to come by with Josh Allen vulturing and now Zach Moss pegged for that 170 or so touches that Frank Gore had. It, probably a better version of that at this stage of their career. We'll see. I, I, I totally agree with all that. Like, yes, I like Singletary, the player, but the team is clearly not committed to him in that three-down role at that price range. There's still great receivers. Uh, the, all, all the guys we talked about earlier, Terry McLaurin or DK Metcalf, sometimes A.J. Brown falls to that point. Like, there's so much upside I'd rather have the three running backs hammered out and not have to worry about that kind of tier than, than you know, have to deal with the single Terry's or another guy that's on this list that uh, is very polarizing these days, Raheem Mostert, the running back 22, 65 overall. I've seen a lot of Twitter debates going off uh, these days. It's pro Mostert camps. There's non Mostert camps. I find myself leaning more towards the pro side. Uh, so I'd love to hear the, the take that's kind of having you avoid him at his cost. Well, I think... Uh... First of all, the cost is not crazy, right? Let's yeah. just go. Let's just stipulate. And and so again, this maybe goes back to one of my theories, especially in best ball, maybe more in best ball. But where if there are two guys, you know, that I kind of like, okay, I'm just going the cheaper one. And I mean, you know, look, mm-hmm. Kevin Coleman was the favorite guy going into the season last year. Ankle sprain messed him up. Um, <clears throat> I know Matt Breed is gone. Maybe Jarek McKinnon comes back. You know, maybe we finally see what they what they loved about him as a receiving back, and and it dilutes everybody's value to some degree. Uh, but that's the problem that I'm sitting here having this conversation in my mind about. Yeah. Uh, you know what the kind of shenanigans Shanahan will uh, come up with, and one thing that sticks in my mind, and it's funny because it never really came to fruition last year. Maybe I should pay more attention to that, but. You know, as the season wore down, uh, you know, in the uh, on my series show every week we have various beat writers on. Every 49ers beat writer we had on would say the same thing, you know, is most of the real deal. Well, he looks like the real deal, but man, this is what Shanahan does. He sets you yeah. up and then he okey-dokes. They're all expecting the okey-dokes from Shanahan. And maybe mm-hmm. I'm still expecting that. Maybe I'll miss out because of it. I did think he looked great. I had him on my show last year and he seems like a really great guy, uh, has head on and, you know, kind of you know, look, when you go through the things that he's gone through to get where he is, the, the multiple teams and the special teams for years and things like that, it's, and we know running back is the position where this can happen. Um, <clears throat> but, man, I just, you know, if I'm paying for a piece of that offense, I'm probably paying – or, you know, the piece of that offense, I'm paying a little cheaper price. I'll go with Coleman and hope for the best. Uh, well, not, not avoiding Mostert, just I'm usually drafting something else. I'm all, I mean, I got my running backs earlier – and I don't want to pay that price for like my fourth back or I'm drafting the wide receivers then. And so, 
Absolutely, yeah. I, I get all that too. I often, similar to you, my running backs are taken care of. A running back, running back, running back is the most common strategy I find myself going through. So by that point, I'm not really looking at most dirt. But if I'm still looking at a flex, I've, maybe I've done running back, running back, receiver, receiver. Yeah. There is some serious upside. That's cool that you got a chance to talk to him. I've, that must have been incredible. Uh, I saw an interesting stat using one of the, the RotoViz tools, the game split apps. I want to see, you know, if this guy gets even nine carries, what is he done in any game he has nine or more touches the average is 16 fantasy points over 16 fantasy points per game 267 point pace and just nine carries a game and I get you can't just extrapolate that out for a season Uh, there's obviously certain factors for that but man he's been so hugely efficient on the work that he has with Breida now gone if McKinnon is that wild card if he sneaks in and he's healthy and he's now suddenly worked in that's going to ruin any type of Mostert argument I had but there is the the one factor I also work and is yes, Shanahan always has these shenanigans. It's it's annoying, but there have been six out of his twelve guys have seen two hundred and eighty or more touches uh, as an OC or a head coach. So there is that slight chance he goes even two fifty touches to Mostert. And if that right. happens, my good lord, the, the guy did look like the real deal. The scheme, the blocking scheme is fantastic. So it's just a matter of the work. Is Shanahan going to play those games right. or is he not? It, right. It, and look, it's not it's not overpriced for that, right? It's not right. like he's priced outrageously for that. I think it's baked into the cake. I, I think it's more a case that I just have more running backs. And he did – you mentioned something about his splits, but I'm looking here too. Uh, I think it was ninth with 20-plus point games, uh, mm-hmm. and no other 49er had one. So we'll right. see what we'll see what happens, man. I'm, you know, again, not I'm not advising people not to draft them. I just don't have a heck of a lot of them at the price. Absolutely. And the last uh, – I love all that list. Those are all the ones we kind of shared together. The running backs I have – in addition to some of the ones we agreed on, were uh, David Montgomery, Sony Michelle, and DeAndre Swift. Montgomery, the 23rd running back, 49 wow. overall. Sony, the 30th running back, 75 overall. And Swift going at 31, around 80 or so. Is there any of those that I'm, I've been talking about being down on them? My listeners have heard that case. Are there any of them that you kind of would go against and say, hey, maybe there is a case for this guy at that price? Yeah, I'll make a case for all of them. It's, it's, <laughs> I like it's it. But, but I don't like it. Like, but that goes back to somebody I said before. I mean, Sony Michelle is totally on my 10-foot pole list. I yeah. want to touch him. But then there, I get to a point in drafts where I'm going, God, is he still there? Mm-hmm. He's at least got a reasonably good path for workload. And look, all this is pre-Cam Newton, so maybe the thinking needs to change a little bit. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you were thinking, you know, if you're trying to make excuses for him, and look, he did have – I don't think he had 100 yards once last year, right? So, so inefficient. <laughs> right. But, you know, he also didn't have, you know, they missed Rock as a blocker. Maybe they, and there were injuries along the offensive line. They lost their fullback early on. They've got a new fullback in there. Maybe, you know, I was thinking if it's Jarrett Stidham, maybe they'll run heavy approach, play defense. That's the, so I'll probably rethink that a little bit. And, and it was horrible, right? It was yeah. horrible last year. And so – those are kind of things like every year, one of the things I do right after the season is I look at guys who just totally disappointed everybody. And I try to come up with good reasons why they might undisappoint this year. And so I just threw the, all those out there with, uh, with Michelle, which is maybe there's better blocking, maybe there's more run focus. That's the best I could come up with. For, I think for Montgomery, I could come up with a little more. Uh, and I think he's growing on me. The thing I like about him is there's a pretty clear path to workload. I, I know they like Tariq Cohen. I know they want, would like to get him more action yet. Still, we don't see a, a kind of Tariq Cohen cutting in. They just need to block better. They need to play better offense. I think Montgomery would be a viable play. I don't have a lot of shares of him. 
I've just acquired some recently, uh, again, mostly because I'm getting running backs earlier. But the price is starting to look a little more appealing to me uh, at this point. And Swift, I'm, I'm not in on at all. I'm not in on any of the Detroit running backs at this point because uh, probably I want to forward my narrative that Matthew Stafford is going to throw the ball every single snap. <laughs> I love it. I, I think the uh, the argument you made with Coleman and Mostert applies a lot to me with Sony Michelle and now Damian Harris, where right. uh, especially with that foot surgery, it's not meant to be a huge procedure. He's right, expected to be it. back, but it's still you know a little bit of a concern. The only time I, I side with the more expensive guy in an unclear backfield is when I really love the talent like Mostert. I just yeah. loved what I saw last year. I love the fit in the zone blocking scheme. I don't look at Michelle and think I see anything special. He gets what's blocked, and that's about it. It. So to me, I'm going to go with the cheaper guy. I'm going to go with the Damian Harris. I hope all that stuff improves and that he maybe just takes over uh, and has one of those like LeGarrette Blunt out of nowhere seasons for the Pats. Entirely possible. And, and, and look, I, I think I'm still a little stuck on that late season run for Michelle. Right, yeah. that's kind of still in the back of my head, and that's why you know I'm trying like to put him on my do not touch list. But I'm still you know I'm putting him there. So please stay away because I feel like I'm drawn to him. Still based on that two years ago uh, level that of work. Super Bowl run? Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> that was insane what he, he was doing in the playoffs for us, uh, for the Patriots there, yeah. Uh, so that covers all the running backs, and we only have a handful of receivers and tight ends to get through. And I, I like the name. I'm intrigued by the one you put up uh, to start here, Amari Cooper, the wide receiver nine going right around the end of the second round here, 24 overall in ADP's price, uh, Fantasy Pro's ADP. The Cowboys did rank first last year in passing yards, but you're still down on, on their number, expected number one, at least, Amari Cooper at that price. Why is that, and kind of who are you looking at instead? Uh, look, he's not horrible, again, right? Yeah. <laughs> not horrible at all. Uh, but he disappeared at times. You know, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. he had uh, the 20-plus or 22-plus in uh, three of the first five, uh, but he only had two more 20-point games over the course of the year. And I think it's some of the biggest games, you know, why is he on the sidelines at a critical time, right? So mm-hmm. maybe that's just stuck in my head. Uh, the addition of CeeDee Lamb, a great playmaking receiver, is a bit of a concern. I mean, he's going to make some plays. I don't know if he's going to take all Cooper's plays away. That's not my argument here. Just when I'm drafting a, a wide receiver that high, I would like to think that he's like a true alpha number one. And it just, I mean, We've seen Cooper be that at times, but he, does he ever extend it beyond the, you know, a, a stretch of games, right? Have we seen mm. that full season? And I think that's maybe a little bit my concern with him. I I think a lot of last year, too, came down to another big concern with him is the injury risk. It seemed like all of all those big games early on, week eight, he has that knee injury against the, the Giants and... And maybe that was part of why it, it tampered off. But I, I want to be able to look, yeah, that was the reason. And now he's guaranteed a 16-game slate where he's fully healthy. But that's not right. the case. He's always dinged up. So that certainly right. has to be baked into his price. I, I am attracted. There, oh, yeah, sorry. You go first. Oh, there are some guys in that range. I mean, Kenny Galladay really yeah. appeals to me. Oh, yeah. I think he's top five capable guy that I can draft in that same range. Uh, you know, Adam Thielen maybe a little less. Allen Robinson I'm big on. DK Metcalf I'm I like him. I, I think you mentioned him a couple times. I like him a hell of a lot. I thought, you know, coming off that really impressive rookie yeah. season for a guy who Ooh. can't run routes, he looks pretty damn good, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> the, the one thing I do like about Cooper, I like a lot of those names you shout out even more than him too, so I find myself avoiding him. DJ Moore is the one, I, if I'm going yeah. to wide receiver uh, at that range, I that's like the Moore one too. I, I kind of hammer, especially over Cooper. Uh, but I like the the just vision, and who knows if it will translate that way of, Mike McCarthy, the Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, like that that Alpha X. 
even when he's had good guys like Cobb and other ones on the side, there always does seem to be that one kind of main vein. And I don't know if he'll carry that over this year. A lot of the concern of CeeDee Lamb and Gallup is very real, two very good talents. So will he ever be that true alpha? And if he's if he's not, then why would you take the most expensive one? So I totally get that case. I'm hoping for his sake, if I own him at least, that you know he does kind of carve out that Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams role. He certainly can run all the full route tree when he's healthy to, to be able to pull that off. But the health... The inconsistencies, the, the the targets around him, I, I totally get the argument to to why to avoid him, especially with such interesting wide receivers that we just shouted out, and some still there's still bell cows you can get if you're going to go that running back, running back, running back. There's still Melvin Gordon's often sitting there, yeah. you know, some in, intriguing players. So I, I I feel like we're agreeing on a lot of these, which is nice, uh, even though there's points to to make for both sides. The other guys I'm down on, and I don't know if you have a, a strong argument for any of them, would be. Uh, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, wide receiver 15, 45 overall. I just don't find myself taking any shares right now. Stephon Diggs as well at wide receiver 21, 54 overall. And then Gallup, uh, I think he's the one that gets more hurt by Lamb than necessarily Cooper. So those are guys, he's wide receiver 31, 68, that I find myself also kind of avoiding right now. Is there any of those that you either agree strongly or disagree strongly with? Yeah, I'd agree with you on Diggs, and that's another classic case where I'm taking the cheaper component. Also, my John Brown addiction knows no bounds. Yes. Player, I will never, <laughs> I will never quit on. All uh, about him. Yes, love right. it. Right. <laughs> so you know, and I just think you know, as you get down to that next range, there's a hell of a lot of guys. If I'm drafting a running back there, that I feel great with, you know, like and even if not great, the, the upside is there, and the price is a little better with the Cortland Suttons, the Devontae Parkers. Look, I, I mean, it wasn't a big sample that we have to hang our hat on, but I do like some of the indications from Parker with the new coaching 100%. staff that maybe he flipped the switch. And you mentioned Terry McLaurin. There's a lot of guys next to Brown. Look, so a guy that I really like, Marquise Brown. And why do I like uh-huh. Marquise Brown? <clears throat> because last year this time, I started hearing Baltimore's coaches saying all this crazy stuff about Lamar Jackson, which is why I started investing in him. Why are they saying this about this guy? Why are they saying he's going to revolutionize the way offense is played? I mean, they were really going out on a limb, right? And so I said, well, given the price is pretty good. Uh, they're saying similar things about Marquise Brown this year. You know, like this guy, this is the, he's going to make a huge step. He's healthy, all these things. So I think at that price, I'm ready to roll the dice on a guy like him instead of a Michael Gallup who's going at about the same price. I love all the names you shouted out there, and that's a, a why I'm avoiding these guys. I love the Parker. I know, again, we've all been burned so many times. It's a tough yeah. one to, to get back on board, but I fully love him. I mean, the number two wide receiver other than Michael Thomas, once Ryan Fitzpatrick took over as the full-time starter. And it was, it was more so what my eyeballs were showing me. I mean, the, against Stephon Gilmore, putting him in a blender, making the right. contestant against one of the best, like one of the only guys I saw as a Patriots fan do that all year. Uh, he was making those alpha plays. And then a lot of people arguing, well, is Fitzmagic going to be the starter all year? I get it. If he's not, shouldn't that be a good thing? Shouldn't it Tua be an upgrade if he's taken over? Right. So I, right. I love Parker. I get why everyone's hesitant. But at that same range as Juju... That's the guy I would totally have picked as the, as the oh. one. And my, and my, I love Marquise Brown. I love both those names. <laughs> I feel like Juju could, you know, could rebound because the bar is so low. And yeah. Ben, you know, assuming Ben is back. But I'm with you. I don't, I don't have any shares yet. I'm in a lot of drafts. <laughs> I think the rebound is baked into the price. Like wide receiver 15, right. sure, he's not going second round like he was last year. Right. But wide receiver 15 is still pretty high. That's like a low end one, high end two. Similar to DJ Moore's and some of the, again, Devontae Parker, I'd rather have who goes two rounds later. You're you're buying this huge rebound from Big Ben, the entire offense. 
And I mean, this is a guy that's just openly been admitting to like having some problems throughout the offseason and his arm just kind of fell off in one week last year. And I don't want to say the guy's done. He's been uh, fun to watch this entire career. But if his arm falls off week one again next year, it, Juju didn't show that he possible. was QB. He, you know, whereas you see Hopkins performing with like TJ Yates, it, you'd hope Juju was kind of QB proof and he just didn't prove to be that guy, which makes me nervous, especially with yeah. Deontay Johnson and some guys emerging around him. So yeah, I'm by, I, I'm off him. I love the Devontae Parker as a guy to, to pivot to as a similar price point. At tight end, I love the first name. It's a bold one. Zach Ertz. I mean, the, the pinnacle of consistency these last four years. Uh, the tight end four in price, 35 overall. He's been sixth, third, second, and fourth best tee in fantasy and top four in points per game for all of those years. So he has been as as you know a very inconsistent position, as good as you can get. But right now, he's a little bit overpriced in your mind. What has you kind of thinking a, a little bit lower on Ertz this year? So, like, I do like to draft tight ends early, and but this year, but it's a tier of three again for me, right? And it mm-hmm. it ends though at Mark Andrews, uh, and just Ertz doesn't fall into that hole. And look, guys like you know Darren Waller, who last year I was all over, you know, along with Andrews, uh, love those guys. I think we're this is less about Ertz and more about the pack below him, right? That are mm-hmm. coming at a much cheaper price, even if you ignore the Tyler Higby breakout, but you you know. Guys like, I mean, Hunter Henry, I think, is still a reasonable play. But even below that, Mike Gusecki was a guy who came on really strong last year. Noah Fant, I could buy into. Jared Cook is getting cheaper. He came on the second half of the season last year. So I just feel like at the prices I'm paying for those guys, I might get really good production. And and I have fears of Dallas Goddard. Uh, and, and, uh, and just a healthier general supporting cast uh, for that offense. I, I'm not like, I'm not predicting a, you know, Ertz is a bust. I'm just not liking the price I'm paying for him. I'm on to draft other guys there. Hopefully I have my tight end by the time he's going and it's not a worry, but if it is, I'm going to wait till way later. I think it's almost like you have a similar approach and I agree with both of them to quarterback and tight end where if I'm not getting Kelsey or Mahomes, or if I'm not getting Lamar Jackson or even Mark Andrews at this point, uh, or, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the, like, the only other tight ends I might have above those guys. You, you got that surefire locked-in guy, or you kind of wait because there's so many intriguing late QBs and late tight ends. Jonu Smith, another one to toss out there as a late intriguing guy. Uh, Hayden Hurst with the Falcons right. uh, is certainly an intriguing name. So there are, I find that I, I'm taking a very similar approach. That's why I'm missing out just like, you know, as much as I like Kyler, similar to the quarterback argument, there's just, I, I got to go for not the onesie positions, the super flex league will of right. course be different but i avoid yeah. those onesie positions if i'm not getting like the alpha the locked in guy and i go late at him so i i get that take i, I totally understand that and i do think goddard's an absolute monster like i there is going to be a year where he takes over for Ertz. it could be as early as this year so why not take him 15 rounds later and then find out right. I, I like it i like all that and i totally agree with your next one i think he might be the over most overpriced tight end in fantasy football that's austin hooper right now going as the tight end eight 89 overall, 1,000% agreement with this one. I think he's overrated in fantasy, more of a product of the that Falcons offense in my eyes. Uh, so before I dive into why I'm against him, what's your take uh, on why you think he's a little overpriced? Well, I mean, I think the, the you kind of mentioned the key is is where he's coming from is maybe had as much and maybe the same reason we both like Hayden Hurst is Dirk Cutter, exactly. the target shares that go to the tight end dating back to Tony Huge. Gonzalez. Not that either, any of these guys are Tony Gonzalez, but it helps – you beat Tony Gonzalez when you're getting the kind of target share 
that the tight end gets uh, in his offenses. And, and we'll see. Kevin Stefanski makes great use of the tight ends as well. Um, but there's a couple tight ends there, actually multiple tight ends there. So, um, and there's uh, Odell Beckham, and there's Jarvis Landry, and there's Kareem Hunt. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of pieces, um, you know, including Nick Chubb, just because he'll get handoffs. But uh, in, in the passing attack, there's a lot of components there. So I think the expectations that Hooper comes in and, you know, lives up to what they're paying for him. Uh, leads everyone to expect that he's going to be maybe a little higher on the fantasy radar. Maybe he will. I'm just not going to pay the price to find out. I'm not going to pay the price to see if Baker Mayfield rebounds. A hundred percent. I mean, a lot of people, when I argue that, there's all these mouths to feed. They're like, well, there's all those mouths to feed in Atlanta too. You had Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. Well, Atlanta threw it 45.9 times a game. Most of the NFL, Minnesota was 31st with 30.9, where Stefanski comes from. So, I mean, if you have a huge aerial pie, okay, yeah, weapons, you know, that that argument doesn't hold as much water, but when you're you're very limited in this aerial pie, then if you're the the fourth or fifth slice and you're only throwing it 30 times a game, there's going to be plenty of of dud weeks. Najoku still, as you mentioned, a great athlete too. I, I, we never got any type of consistency out of Kyle Rudolph, even though Stefanski he had plenty of touchdowns. It was just if he didn't have a touchdown, he didn't do anything. And I kind of see that for Hooper next year is it's going to be a touchdown or bust, and that's not a guy I'm paying tight end eight price for. I'd I'd rather wait and find a tight end or bust guy, uh, touchdown or bust later on in the draft. So I'm all with you. I think it's a hundred percent a valid argument. And I'd, I'd rather have Hayden Hurst personally than Austin Hooper because of that aerial pie he's going into now. <laughs> but even as we say this, the ADP is rising to where I'm dialing back on Hurst already. Yeah. So I think everyone's catching on to that one. Absolutely. Alrighty. Well, that wraps up all our overprices right now. The guys that we consider people not to attack where they're going, which brings us to the no huddle offense, the the quick hit gut reactions, where I'm going to give you kind of 20 uh, questions. I do this to every of the industry wolves that come on here and you just kind of let it rip. If there's any you want to explain, feel free. You're welcome to, but otherwise just give me the name that comes right to your mind. How's that sound? (laughs) Sounds like a good plan. All righty. Number one, after McCaffrey, the number two player in fantasy should be? Most take one, Barkley. The next Dalvin Cook or round two running back who's going top five in 2021 will be? Uh, Miles Sanders, if all goes right. What's the favorite fantasy team name you've either had or seen? So this was, uh, you know, you sent me the list and I appreciate that. Um, I'm in like 20 plus, it'll be (laughs) over 30 leagues every year. And they're all industry leagues, and the names are all people in the industry. So um, I like my team name, Football Diehard. Uh, no, I, I, I don't even see names anymore. It's been years. Yeah, true. Yeah, it, it, a lot of it is dependent on like your personal rivalries or like past bad blood with people, and you come at them. So I, I get that. Number four, the next Chris Godwin or round four to five wide receiver who explodes into the elite will be? Uh, look, I think DK Metcalf is right on the verge of that. The 2020 Mark Andrew or breakout tight end will be? Uh, I want to say Mike Gusecki. Who is your most hated NFL player for fantasy-specific reasons? I'm going to go with Odell Beckham just because he, you know, guys kind of force their way around. I don't know. It's just nothing against him. I just think, you know, people always see the grass greener on the other side, then they get the other side and go, wow, that grass is not that green. <laughs> if there was somehow another Lamar Jackson or Pat Mahomes, it would be? Danny Jones! <laughs> I love it. Which early rounder, first or second, is going to bust the hardest? Um, 
I'm going to say, I'm going to go with, you know, I'll, I'll go with, we've talked about Aaron Jones, so I'm going to not duplicate that. But I mean, expecting Derrick Henry to put up the same numbers he did last year seems like a reach. Uh who so, I just saw that space. I, I think a, a couple people have brought him up too. Uh, who gained the most fantasy value in the 2020 offseason? Uh, probably Kyler Murray, uh, even though I don't think he deserved I, I'm not paying for it, but I, but he did. I mean, when you add DeAndre Hopkins and you're going into your second year, the climb has been phenomenal. Conversely, who do you think lost the most value this offseason? Damian Williams. I won't leave rounds five through six without... Chris Chris Carson. Do you ever play Settlers of Catan? I don't even know what the hell that is. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's a random board game. I, I'm, I'm like 0 for 7 on that one. I guess nobody really plays it other than me. <laughs> the next sophomore re- wide receiver after or even before A.J. Brown should be? Uh, it should probably be Sutton, Corlin Sutton. But mm. I, I, I'm thinking Well, he'd be, in the, right. he'd be in his year three, right? Sutton, right, right, so right. It's kind of like uh, that Metcalf, McLaurin, like Debo. Yeah, it's, it's, look, it's those two. Those are the two that I'm looking at is Metcalf and McLaurin. I mm. forgot what a sophomore is. It's only been 100 years. <laughs> what do you prefer, target hogs or workhorse backs? Uh, workhorse backs. Alvin Kamara, James Conner, and Eckler were all top five running backs that went after round seven in their respective years. In 2020, that'll be... J.K. Dobbins. Ooh. What are your ideal league settings? Uh, PPR, Superflex, maybe tight end, heavy scoring. After Michael Thomas and Devonta Adams, owners should draft blanket wide receiver. Uh, probably Julio Jones. Blank was the most important coaching move for blank players' value in fantasy. I just did this one. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say I want just run it through the list in my head. Um, some of them seem so obvious. Um, I'm gonna. I guess I'll go with. <laughs> I guess I, so Kevin Stefanski is the offensive mind, but there's so many pieces there that really, really, really help any of them. Maybe he just gets swamped out. Um, I'm going to pass. I'm, I'm, I, there's too much information in my head. Stef- Stefanski is often the one for the run game. A lot of people say Stefanski for Chubb and Hunt. Some people do uh, Joe Brady and Matt Rule go in there for Carolina and those weapons. Yeah. Those have been the two most common answers we've gotten on that one. Um, what about the last two here, last three? Do running backs matter? <laughs> running backs definitely matter. And But also running backs, all running backs matter because – you go down, and that's the thing. I mean, every year mm-hmm. we know that a running back you didn't draft is going to win someone their title, right? And I think, uh-huh. you know, being able to identify some of those guys is critical. Always. And I don't know if this will apply to you or not. Funniest last place punishment or side bet you've kind of witnessed or been a part of? I've never been a part of one of those. Like, it's been, you know, it's literally been 20 years since I played in leagues that weren't industry leagues. So yeah, I play in a couple, you know, friendly leagues, but there's none of the betting or anything. Gotcha. Well, I come up with a better coaching answer. I have to look at my notes now. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, dude, you're probably right. I mean, you know, if we go down to coordinator changes, 
you know, maybe Pat Shermer going to Denver and, you know, mm. bringing them with some new explosive players. But I think beyond that, you know, Jay Gruden, nah, I don't know. You're probably right. I, I like the Shermer call, though, for uh, Drew Locke. I think that, you know, huge volume. We saw those blowups from Daniel Jones. So that's, that's a good one, too. Not a lot of people bring him up. I think he's going under the radar. So I like that. And the last question here, boldest 2020 fantasy prediction, and then just kind of remind our listeners where they can kind of connect and find your work. Uh, Chase Edmonds is the guy that nobody drafts who wins somebody their title. Um, and, you know, uh, nothing against Kenyon Drake, just the, the, has the yet to prove and he can do it over the course of the season, and it's going to be somebody, and that's, that's where I'll hang my hat on that one. And you can find me at uh, footballdiehards.com or on Twitter at footballdiehard or on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio. Usually seven days a week, but it's a weird year. Who knows? Awesome. Well, Bob, thank you so much for being so generous for your time, your answers, all the insight you brought. Like, as I said at the top, just the chance to speak with you after reading your work for as long as I have. And you kind of, again, turned me on to the idea that a fantasy analyst could be like an actual thing in real life. I, I just appreciate everything and the time today. It just means a lot. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me on, Wolf. Absolutely. Best of luck in your leagues this season. Talk soon. Thanks, man. Congrats on being one step closer to those 2020 titles. Be sure to check out ffbdpod.com for show notes from this and any other episode. And if you haven't already, it would mean the world to hear your thoughts in the reviews and to share it out with friends that you're not going to face in fantasy leagues this year. Thanks again, Wolfpack. Until next time, Wolf is out. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause, oh, 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 and wave out to the crowd, and take our final bow, oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show, 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 at least we stole the show. Old-fashioned football right there, folks.